This is How Have You Not Seen, a movie podcast where we fill in the gaps in each other's cinematic knowledge by asking important questions like, whoa, now, you, you never watched before Sunset? Or, you seriously haven't seen When Harry Met Sally? Or, how have you not seen Palm Springs? Welcome back, everyone, to How Have You Not Seen. I am your intrepid co-host, Carson Betts. And I am your slightly less intrepid co-host, Caroline Thompson. Uh, This is a movie podcast where every week one of us brings one of our favorite movies the other one hasn't seen. We talk about it. And we go and watch the movie. And then we talk about it some more. And then we go and watch the movie. And then we talk about it some more. And then we go and watch the movie. Is this a Groundhog Day situation? Is this a Groundhog Day? I might have given away something about this movie. Um, So, Caroline, (laughs) we're continuing Love Month. Um, I've been trying to, you know, we spent some time, I in particular, trying to pull some films that I think would make not just, not just, you know, great romance and romantic comedies that I love, but, you know, four movies for this month that gave us a little bit, gave us some options, gave us a little bit of uh, diversity in terms of tone and style. This is, I think, the most recently produced film we've ever done in this podcast. Yeah, Came out two might years be true. ago. This is 2020, 2020, right? 2020, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So let's get into it. How have you not seen Palm Springs? Um, yeah, great questions. So um, the first time I remember hearing about this movie was like, right at the top of COVID, right? Yeah. So at the time, I did not have Hulu uh, because we live in a weird capitalist hellscape where it's just like, well, like my immediate choices are very much determined by the giant corporation that I give $8.99 a month to. Yes. And I did not give it to the green one. I only at the time had the red one and the purple one. So, <laughs> um, hey, but yeah, I, mean, one like, Max. I didn't have Hulu. It's called Purple One Max. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is called Purple One Max, um, as opposed to Purple One Go, which I had in high school because my parents had cable. Anyway, and you could log in with your your, your Time Warner is what we mm-hmm. called it back in my day. Mm-hmm. Your Time Warner username, gotcha, gotcha. And it was silver and blue, God damn it. Um, anyway, that is a uh, streaming service history. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I didn't have Hulu at the time, and. Um, I don't know. And I'm honestly glad that I didn't see it because like at that point in the pandemic, it was when like I just had films on 24 hours a day. I didn't give more than 15% attention to anything that actually ran on the television. Yes. Um, and I just like have not, I've since, I have since very legally acquired a Hulu login information that I pay for myself, obviously. Um, and I've just never watched it because this is a Hulu original, right? Yeah, it went straight it to is, Hulu. It went straight to Hulu. It was produced by Neon. It was meant initially to be a theatrical release. Okay. I did not realize it was uh, produced by Neon. Yeah. That, um, that gives me 
you know, it, even, it actually, a little, even a little bit more excitement. Its initial release was at Sundance just before lockdown in January, like late January. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, so like six weeks, damn, mm-hmm. that's crazy. Um, But yeah, uh, so I just have not gotten around to it and uh, glad we're finally doing that. Hell yeah, hell yeah. What do you, uh, what do you know about this film? Not much. It's Andy Samberg, right? Correct. It's straight to Hulu. Do you know the female uh, lead? Not off the top of my head, no. Oh, you're going to be excited about her. Okay, cool. Great. Keep going. Um, I believe the film takes place in Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. And, um, and uh, it's kind of like what I have heard about this movie, and you can kind of correct me or like, guide this statement a little bit more towards correctness if I'm off a little bit, but I've heard it's like, it's very artfully done in a lot of ways. And it's very like good and emotionally resonant, but also has a lot of like borderline, like gross out, like sex comedy humor to it as well. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, that is like not the way I would ever put it, but like, yeah, there's, there's an aspect of that to it. I just, I just know that like, when I've heard talk about it in passing, the vibe I kind of get is like, a lot of that movie is like kind of fucked up and weird, but like, it's a really good movie. It is a really good movie. And I, I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll discuss that more once I've actually seen it. But the vibe I get is that it's like, it's like a little bit more crass than a lot of movies like it. Um, and it kind of like toes that line between like, I don't know, like it, 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 it kind of rubs very closely up against being like immature and gross out, but like also is a very like not serious film because it's a romantic comedy, but like, or it's a comedy, but you know, it yeah. uh, kind of straddles that line a little bit from what I yeah. heard. Yeah. Yeah. There's an element of that. Certainly. Yeah. Also as of 30 seconds ago, I have reason to believe it's a groundhog day scenario who's to say who's to say say. who's to say i did not know that 20 seconds ago if that isn't Uh the case but all right all right well great if that's all you know i do want to get into our little game for the week uh it is a great one another game we love to play around here called six degrees of laura dern oh hell yeah hell yeah, so this is, hey, y'all, y'all at home, y'all know Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon. It's from actor who is in such a thing with different actor who is in that thing. We're going to be doing that, except with Laura Dern. I'm going to be saying one of the names of the cast members in this film. And then both Caroline and I are going to have to make try and make the shortest chain back to Laura Dern. Uh, now, considering that I had time to prepare and think this through, I have a little bit of a handicap. I got to spend one of my linkages basically from one of this, the actors in this film to a different actor in this film. Um, but otherwise, Caroline is, she's just free to play. You right. can create me a, in, in the Derno sphere as hard as you want. Um, so, Caroline? <laughs> Love to create in the Derno sphere. Yes. Your actor, you already said him, is Andy Sandberg. Okay. Let's see. All right. Corey, cut out a lot of the dead air. <laughs> I, I wrote down the timestamp for when Laura Dern started. Hell so yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> nice, 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 nice. Good producing. 
All right, I got it. Hell yeah. I got it. Oh. Um, I, I, I do, oh fuck, I wish I knew his name off the top of my head and I should, but I do have to just look up one name okay. and I promise that's all I will be looking up. Fair. But um, what is his fucking name? Um, great, I got it. All right. So Andy Samberg was in That's My Boy. Nice. Adam Sandler. Nice. Who was in Happy Gilmore with Christopher McDonald, who plays Shooter Ooh. McGavin, who was in Thelma and Louise with Gina Davis, who was in The Fly with Jeff Goldblum, who, as wow. we all know, was in Jurassic Park with Laura Dern, baby. Very good, very good. Let's go, baby. I Let me say, I think I might have beaten you by one. I, I okay. will say that this is, I think, the fastest I've ever come up with one of these when I thought of it. Ooh. It's also maybe the most... It's one of the most like purely Carson Betts, Six Degrees of Laura Derns have ever done. Amazing. Andy Samberg is in Palm Springs with J.K. Simmons. Wow, that's uh, that's great to know. It is good to know. He's the female lead. Now, <laughs> that'd be aggressive. Crazy. Yeah, wow. J.K.X. Sandy. Um, J.K. Simmons is in, I'm going to specify Spider-Man 3 with Kirsten Dunst. Okay. Kirsten Dunst is in Power of the Dog with Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons is in The Master with Laura Dern. We tied. Did we tie? Yes. Damn. Because right. you had uh, Simmons, Dunst, Plemons. Mm. I had uh, Sandler, McDonald, Davis. Davis. Yeah. Oh, no, I okay. had Davis Goldblum. Davis Goldblum. Oh, Damn, you're right. You did beat me. You did nice. beat me. Oh, yeah. Coming out strong. Coming out strong. Ugh, good, Je- good Jesse I- Plemons poll. Yeah, the Plemons poll is good. I always go for Plemons. Uh, let me tell you, initially, before I, like, when I was first thinking of it, I forgot I had to do someone else in the cast. I also was like, okay, I'm going to go through Samberg. And then I was like, I'm going to go Samberg with Punch Drunk Love with um, uh, 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 Philip Seymour Hoffman. He's in the master, Laura Dern. Like, I had Bam. it. I was going around the master, like, real hard. That's Paul Thomas Anderson, baby. He'll he'll help you out. <laughs> yeah, I know. Laura Dern. Well, and we can get on and watch the movie. I have, but like, just very quickly, I have found Carson mm-hmm. since you re-injected this film into my brain about two years ago when we were playing this game. Yeah. Perhaps the most helpful film in the history of the universe for this game is <laughs> is Meet the Fockers, weirdly. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> because you have Hoffman, Streisand, mm-hmm. Stiller, and De Niro. De Niro, Yeah. <laughs> all in there with Dirty. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, I mean, the Hoffman De Niro one-two punch is great because I mean, Hoffman, you get you can get Beatty, Hoffman, you mm-hmm. can get, you know, all these people. I mean, and Robert De Niro, you can get fucking anybody who's Everyone. ever said a word on screen in Hollywood. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, Little Fockers, very Everything helpful. to me leaves back to Little Fockers, The Master or the movie 99 Homes which I've never seen, but I do know of just cause like Andrew Garfield and Michael uh, um, fucking Michael. What's his fuck are like easy to connect. Um, all right, great. Let's go watch Palm Springs. Let's wait, go watch I, Palm Springs. Oh wait, Corey. What's can up, I, producer, can Corey, I what's set up? us? I want to set up one more thing before we leave to help build excitement for this movie. I checked. This is number 10 on my letterboxed top 25 of all time. Of all time. Yeah. Wow. I'm, I'm excited still, now. I'm very this excited. Movie this is a good, is, this is a good movie. 
this is a this is a great movie. Sorry, I just wanted to plug that before we before we jumped over to no hell yeah, let's hell go yeah. set expectations. Let's do it. Let's go watch it. We're back. We are finally back from sunny California. We blew We're ourselves back. up. Oh, I see what you're doing, Carson. You're going to say back. it again. Yep. Okay. Because <laughs> you're stuck in a time loop. Great. Um, also, I texted you this. I have a bone <laughs> to pick with you. So sorry. I, I said, didn't look. You did not. Okay. And we'll listen back to it. But I, like, say, I haven't started the edit yet, so I can't mm-hmm. confirm or deny. But because I said, like, is this a Groundhog Day situation? And like the way you avoided that answer heavily implied that it wasn't. So when it got to the first, like the first time it goes back in time, I just yeah. texted Carson and I was like, you bastard. You said this wasn't a Groundhog Day. I, I didn't want to look. The reveal of it is so fun. Like I didn't want to ruin that for you. That's uh, true. You know? No. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Caroline, just at the top, what do you, what do you think of Palm Springs? Give me your, your quick little. Um, it is adorable. Yeah, it is. A very, 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 very good little movie. It was not in the slightest bit what I expected. Good. At all. Good. Cool. At all. Um, and yeah, I am really excited to talk about it. I mean, I think that it is it is a thing that I am starting to like um in a lot of more modern movies that um I actually talk about this at length on a recent episode um, of the Hit Factory podcast, which Mm -hmm. is, you can find on Twitter at Hit Factory. Um, I went on and discussed, but I'm a cheerleader, um, which we covered on the show last season. And um, I forget, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but I think, I think the cheerleader episode would have like just dropped like two or three days ago from when this episode is coming out. But um, it is the thing that I talk about at length there that it is really nice to have films and specifically like romantic comedies where choosing the partner and choosing to like accept love and follow love and be with somebody is also going hand in hand with a personal decision for personal growth. Yeah. Because so frequently, so frequently in romance films, it is that thing, and we talked about it last week on When Harry Met Sally, um, it is that thing where so frequently it's like, well, when you have to give up, like, you know, when you have to give up, like, your life or whatever for a man or for, like, a woman or whatever, like, when the story is you have to give up the life you currently have to be with this person, Mm -hmm. but you should because you love them, like, that always like it's generally meant pretty you know it's generally meant in like a positive way but frequently it like does feel a little gross yeah yeah and so it is really nice to have that in this movie where it's like it is like you want to come with me you want to be with me but before you can be with me you have to decide to do something for yourself and like they both have to decide to do that And it is not just a decision where they are doing something for the sake of getting to love the other person. It is, I love this person. I want to be with them, but in order to do so, 
I have to like do something really, really big for myself. And I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that about this movie. Yeah, you, you definitely clued in on that. I mean, we both did in, in When Harry Met Sally last week. And it's, I mean, it's, it's the dramatic question of this movie is, are they going to try and be real people? And like, you know, the answer is yes, like they do. And I, you know, yeah. I like that the end of this movie is essentially a cliffhanger. Like that's the, it's, it's them stepping into uncertainty is the, is the dramatic climax of this, of this film that you don't know where it's going to go. Who right. to say, you know, they could, they could break up in a week. Who knows? Well, and it's a thing too. And it's like, this is what I say on the, on the hit factory episode about cheerleader is mm-hmm. like, it is the same thing in that movie where it's like, when the film ends, like Graham throws away, this is cheerleader, like Graham yeah, throws away yeah. like her family, her inheritance, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Not just to be with Megan, but also to be the person she needs yeah, to be. Yeah. So whether she and Megan break up next week or 10 years from now, or they're for, together for the rest of their lives, that doesn't matter because yeah. that act of going with her is Graham choosing to do something for herself that she mm-hmm. needs. And it's the same thing in this movie where it's like, it doesn't fucking matter if like a week goes by and they are like, oh, like really I only liked you because we were stuck in that situation and like you are like the only available option. And now that we're out in the real world, you know, we don't, we don't work as a couple and like, that's fine. Like mm-hmm. if that happens a week from now, three years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now, or never, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Because, because- yeah, it was, it was about the both of them attaining self-actualization. Exactly. Like yeah. them being together is not, it's not the end, it's the mean, mm-hmm. which is awesome because so frequently in romance films, it is the end. And it's, and that is, I think, a bit more true to life. Definitely. It, that, that, that romance, very rarely does a relationship fix something in your life, but, a, a, you know, a good romantic partner and your commitment to your relationship does have the power to spur self growth a lot oh, of definitely. time like that yeah. you know it's but it's never and it's you know it's usually it, it is it's the different thing it's the way you're I'm I'm just I just found myself backtracking to the exact point that you just made that like in this movie much as in real life it is it is the fact that one must attain self actualization right. to make the relationship work not the other way around exactly yeah uh, so the time loop let's let's talk time loops because I love the way that this film uses it it does feel like a like a fresh take on the Groundhog Day thing literally because he's like yeah we're in a Groundhog Day like they're both aware of like you know the the Uh self-awareness of that is so fun have you noticed that like the time loop concept is just like a weirdly wildly popular thing recently like the last couple years what else in the last few years? It's big in, um, oh, I'm trying to, there's another movie that was smaller that did it too. I keep feeling like I see a bunch of indies that do this, but it's been huge in the world of uh, of video games, which I know you're not as into as me, but like, oh, gotcha, gotcha, there were like gotcha. five, like, I'm trying to think now, like four or five video games I can think of that came out in the last year that I'll use the time loop, which time loop is something that I think makes a lot of sense as a mechanical structure to house a video game story a bit more than it does even as like a narrative feature in a in a in a film you know you kind of got to like think oh what are we going to do with the time loop what does time loop represent but like right. i'm right now i brag i finally got a playstation 5 like two weeks ago oh took, good for you took, congratulations took took like a year <laughs> not just of saving up but also just because you can't get one of those right and maybe um, a year from now they'll release a game for it yeah well here's the thing <laughs> i'm playing i'm playing death loop 
which you can only play on the PlayStation 5. Uh, it's really good. Very much my shit. Um, that's a time loop game. Uh, fucking Returnal, one of the other big games that came out, time loop game. Um, there's a couple of indies that have done time loop. Like one of the, oh, I'm trying to think of the name of it, but one of, it was on like a lot of people's best of the year list last year. It was like originally a mod for Skyrim and now it's and it's a time loop game. Like the time loop is a weirdly prescient narrative feature in there's popular entire- culture. There's yeah. an entire, I'm looking at an article right now, uh, Games with the Groundhog Day style time loop, like Deathloop. There's 15 games listed yeah. just from 20, like, I, I guess they're released earlier, but this was written in December of 2021. Yeah. And it was, when this movie came out, because it was, it had like a weird popularity too. Another thing we got to talk about is the is the slow death of studio comedy. Yeah. Um, but yeah. when this thing came out- A big like, theme this month, because the, the, yeah. the romantic comedy is a is a- a dead one of genre. the forefront casualties of that unfortunately yeah but like this thing came out early on in the pandemic and one of the things that like it hit weirdly enough like a lot of things did in the pandemic where it's like okay this thing didn't mean to be about the situation that we're currently in but it kind of accidentally became about it because everybody was like oh yeah this is what my life feels like now we just right. live the same day every single day i drink way too much and then you get up the next day and you do the exact same shit over again and you've basically only got like one person to share it with maybe like and i don't know why all this time loop stuff is happening now i wonder is it directly a result of our collective pandemic existence because it's it's weird to think about, but that lockdown was two years ago now. Yeah, it's fucking true. crazy, and it, it does feels not make like any it was sense. yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like I, but but so many of I mean, this movie in particular, but also so many of those games, so many of this other time loop media would have started production before before, before yeah. pandemic. Yeah. So but, like, yeah, what yeah. what is it in the water that those are? Such and a so thing? I, I have an idea on that. Mm-hmm. And so my thing watching this is I watched it far enough removed from like the height of lockdown, like yeah. news flash jokes. We still are in a global pandemic. Still get your happening. fucking vax, get your yeah, fucking boosters, wear yeah. a fucking mask, yeah. like, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, I don't know, like maybe it is kind of just that like, you know, hashtag Noam Chomsky, like manufactured consent thing, but it is this mm-hmm. thing where it's like, the the lack of frequency with which I leave my house is at this point entirely like self-imposed. Yeah. Like I still don't go out nearly as much as I did pre-pandemic. Yeah. Um, but you know, there's like there's like a restaurant like right underneath my apartment. And like I'll pop down there and like eat dinner. That's really the only place that I like really frequently eat out. Mm-hmm. Um, like I sit down in a restaurant. And that's entirely self-inflicted. Like mm-hmm. we're far enough out that like, you know, I'll still go to the gym. I still go to the movies. I wear a mask the whole time, but like, you know, um, I am not directly associating this with the monotony of the pandemic, which is a very cathartic read of it, I think. Mm-hmm. But I was watching it and I was like, oh, what a perfect, what a perfect little metaphor for like, millennial malaise yeah yeah. you know which is I think what it intended to be just this idea of like you are surrounded by like this giant like capitalist machine that like even if you look at dead in the eye and you know exactly how it's going to happen like you're powerless to change it yeah and it is that thing of like you know I I had the thought of just like what a perfect little metaphor for like how we all just kind of want to die, but can't, um, you know what I mean? <laughs> just like, can't escape they, it, yeah. They explicitly say that in the car, like, 
Andy Samberg, like straight up fucking like he, he says exactly what I was thinking 10 minutes before the scene happened of just like, I was like, well, you like, you know, like you can't really escape it. Like I've tried killing myself a bunch of times and I just wake back up. So I really have no choice but to live. So I guess I'm just going to keep on living, but like, yeah. I'm going to make the best out of the situation that I can, but it's terrible. But also like, I guess it's not that bad because I get to wake up in this beautiful place and drink beer all the time. And I can kind of just not give a shit. And my existence has absolutely no consequence whatsoever. Like it has no consequence on me or any of the people around me in any real tangible way. mm -hmm. Um, And I thought, I was thinking just like, what a very good metaphor for just kind of like, you know, this thing of like, going into adulthood as a millennial and being like, you know, you know, if you're moderately lucky, like you'll have enough money to survive. Like you won't be on the precipice of starvation, Mm -hmm. but you'll certainly never be on the precipice of success or like whatever that means. You know what I mean? Like, like our generation is one that is inheriting nothing but like debt and like the, you know, and the nothingness that is yeah. left by the people before us. Yeah. And the, so the that's... true, yeah. Sorry, go on. Finish oh, up. so I was just going to say the film just really hit me hard in that sense. And like, I think that's exactly what it's going for because it really doubles down on that in that scene when he's explaining a lot of it in the car. It's the, yeah, it's the, whatever you want to call it, the sort of um, long-term effects of neoliberalism or the, the ennui caused by late stage capitalism where it's like, I feel very rootless and like, I'm not actually getting anywhere. And like, I'm not really ever, you know, I'm not making great strides or feeling intense joy, but like, I don't know, consumer goods are really cheap. Like everything's, everything's very pretty. Like that's fine. Exactly. I guess that's okay. And the thing too, of like, you know, I'm going to wake up every day and I'm going to be in this relationship that I don't really like that I know is not working, Mm -hmm. but like, it's where I'm at and it's safe and it's cozy. And like, I'm going to have to show up to the wedding and like, I'm going to have to show up to this wedding every day and I'm going to have to keep up appearances every day. But ultimately if I fucking don't, it doesn't actually matter. So like some days I'll, I'll do it and I'll engage with it earnestly and I'll just go to the wedding and just be a guest. But other days, like I'll, I can ruin the whole thing. And like, what does it mean? nothing like yeah it's and the other thing that i the other way that this really works for a metaphor and i think it is the thing about this movie that makes it play the best to me is that it is a thing that i think you need to it's the thing you need to identify if you're going to have a romance movie that has like a a really big concept and this is take a shot we record these out of order this is something i'm going to talk about a lot in an episode that we have coming out in like three weeks um but if you have a romance with a big concept you need to identify in what way are those two things tied together? In what way is the concept a metaphor for the central relationship? And this thing, I think, very successfully, because we're finding you can read the time loop in a lot of different ways, but I think its primary metaphor is it's like that of a relationship that the kind of relationship you have in your 20s where you're just not sure if it's going anywhere, but it is comfortable, so you don't want to try. And like the, the fact that the end of this movie is, wait, we need to actually try to be together. We can't just let ourselves be together. You know, we gotta, we gotta very actively make that choice. Yeah. And I think the whole idea of like setting it at a wedding is also very, Mm -hmm. very like clever to those means because it is that thing where it's like, look, like 
we can make this as like as serious as we want it to be. Like, like we can take this as seriously as we want, or we can take it as not seriously as we want. And like, I think they do a really good job of playing with that in ways because it's like, you know, some nights they just ruin the wedding and it doesn't matter, but then they find out, you know, that, um, you know, he finds out that, and I'm, I'm forgetting her name, but the main girl, um, Sarah, Sarah, Sarah Sarah and Niles. Niles, yeah. yes, I'm I'm forgetting their names, but like, yeah, um, like he finds out that Sarah has to wake up every morning in this like bad situation, and like that's something she just can't not take seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. It is that yeah. thing where it's like when they finally call out, um, like that she did just once, but like because of the time loop over and over mm-hmm. again. But like she did cheat on or her sister's fiance cheated on her with Sarah mm-hmm. and Sarah's like complicit in that. Like when you find that out, it doesn't make it any easier to like palette, you know, it's like, um, you know, it is that thing of like the wedding doesn't really fucking matter. And like, he has the whole thing where he's like, Oh yeah, I've slept with everyone here and eh, it doesn't really matter. But like, yeah. But for some reason, the her cheating, because it happened before the time loop and like, because it has real ramifications, like that does matter. And like, I love that they said it that way. Cause it could yeah. just be that they're on vacation, mm-hmm. but like just that the pop and circumstance surrounding the wedding and letting them play with how seriously they take everything is very, very, very fun. Yeah. And, and, and it and, is that thing yeah. of like, you know, there is so much tradition surrounding wedding and there is so much of like, everything has to be perfect. But at the same time, like, thousands of people get married every day there's no way that like in the cosmic theme scheme of things your wedding is in any way shape or form like uh important yeah. you know what i mean but it's also the most important thing that's ever but it happened can feel really you. important yeah. yeah and like and like and seeing it over and over and over again like these people stressing out about how perfect it has to be like how perfectly constructed it has to be is just a great like little way to play with this metaphor yeah. The, and it, the first thing she hears every day when she wakes up is her dad going, it's going to be a beautiful wedding day. Yeah. 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 It's a great one. And that it's, uh, it's such a fun play because I feel like this movie, it, it does not weirdly enough, it gets right up to the line of like advocating a certain type of existence without going all the way. Like it's sort of, it, it comes out at this really Zen place. Like once you get that, the, Niles turn scene where he actively seeks out J.K. Simmons and like like the advice that J.K. Simmons gives him like there is something very beautiful like in his sort of commonplace everyday existence that he's holding up but the thing that J.K. I don't remember the name of the character but the thing that J.K. Simmons tells him Roy yeah Roy the thing that Roy tells him and advocates for isn't exactly like yeah you should get married to Sarah and have some kids the thing he's telling him is just like bud, you just got to be okay where you're at. Like, you know, you're, you know, you got to one, you got to try, and then you got to be okay with the effect of that decision. Like you need to, you need to find a little bit of Zen in your life, which is kind of ironic coming from this dude who has just been so fucking chill the entire time. And the thing you realize is, no, he's not chill. Like he, he doesn't have the ability to actively make a decision that's going to affect his life because he's stuck in this time loop. And when presented with the ability to make a decision that will have an effect, he is totally, you know, absolutely, absolutely just, terrified. yeah, so scared of it. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a kind of a good metaphor for trauma in some senses, because, because Sarah always wakes up with that knowledge of, oh, I just cheated on, you know, I, I was actively complicit in my sister getting cheated on. 
the way that she lets herself, it's funny because she's like, the good thing I got to do is I got to tell my sister, I got to come clean. And that'll like clear my conscience in a metaphorical sense. Not the case. The thing she has to do to clear her conscience is to uh, stop being enthralled to, you know, the idea that she's a bad person, you know, which is getting out of the time loop. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good one. What do we, I mean, what's your opinion of Andy Samberg? Do you like Andy? I find Andy Samberg is interesting to me. So yeah. I think of Andy Samberg as almost like bizarro Chris Pratt. Oh my God. In that like, yeah. in wow. that like Andy, like Chris Pratt is one of those people who's always like, like people like love him and he's like oh like I'm a good fun like funny guy and like mm-hmm. like everybody likes me like and I like everybody and like there's just something kind of skeevy about him and like yeah. no offense to anybody but it is he does have that weird like born again like Christian like very forced like intense like positivity mm-hmm. and like all that yeah. stuff to him and it's like it's like Chris Pratt is supposed to be like this like really palatable relatable like every man and something about him just like turns me off whereas Andy Samberg is like it is this thing where it's like he is always like his reputation is like gross out humor you know his his reputation is I mean it's fucking the lonely island fucking they did a song called jizz in my pants you know (laughs) and it's like and it's like and it's like this thing where he's like he's billed as this like really obnoxious over the top, like, like man child Mm -hmm. but everything he does he has this like weird degree of like 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 real humanity and real pathos to him and like almost everything he does and it's like yeah and so like that's my take on him like I don't love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and like I think a lot of that too is just the subject matter of the show yeah um which like I know a lot of people who really love Brooklyn Nine-Nine and like good for them but it's like whenever I have watched that show I'm like I'm like Andy Samberg is like 20% less of a douchebag than like his roles always have to work for him to be, you know, like he's yeah, always playing yeah. this douchebag and it's like, and it's like, he's doing a great job, but he is like 20% less of like what he is always purported to be. Yeah. He's it, it's, it's, I think he is such fucking perfect casting for this movie. Cause he's yeah. really walking a line. It would be incredibly easy for that character to be so unlikable to be just yeah. such a whore. Like it's, it's funny. I was thinking this last night cause it's a groundhog day thing. I'm like, man, you slot Bill Murray into this role. And just like, it all falls apart. Like if you put in a legitimate, like, cause he's acting like an asshole in a way, but if you put a legitimate asshole in there, it, it makes, you know, to- the thing falls apart. Yeah. But Andy Samberg is really good at playing that man child arrested development thing. And it's works to great effect here. Um, also fucking Krista Malati, what a treasure. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I am waiting. I have been waiting for a decade since she was like in the, those like final two seasons of how I met your mother. I have mm-hmm. been, and like, she was in the Wolf of Wall Street around yeah. that time, too, mm-hmm. which I believe was the same. I believe Wolf of Wall Street was the same year that how I met your mother wrapped, but like, I have been, yeah. I have been waiting for her to just be like, I, I've been waiting for her to arrive for yeah. 10 years. Yes. You know, yes. like, it's just like that thing where it's like, I'm like, she's great in everything. I always yeah. love her. She's such, she's so charming and she's so like, just inherently likable. Yes. And it's like, every time she shows up in like one of these like smaller or supporting roles, I'm like, when are you going to get like your thing? And then there's something like this where she's great in it and it's just like, you know, it comes out like not quietly on streaming. You know, I'm yeah. just waiting for her. Like, when is she going to get her, her movie? 
Yes, yeah. we we need to one. I think this is a great segue into the death of the rom com. Yes, because like look, we talked about when Harry met Sally. Fucking Meg Ryan, incredible star, largely off the back of her work in romantic comedies. Kristen Milotti should be in a different romantic comedy every single fucking year, and she should be Absolutely. killing it. Like she's because yes. she's so good. She's you know one. She's got like. She's got an interesting look. She's got kind of a weird vibe, but she works as like a traditional romantic comedy lead. Like she's a very good actor. Like she should be in one of these every single year and they should all be excellent. She should be doing, I mean, you know, RIP, but she should be doing fucking Nora Ephron films like all the time. Um, but that simply is not the thing. She's, oh, she's also in the best episode of Black Mirror, by the way. She's the lead in that. Fucking Which kills one? it. Which one? Which one? It's the one with her and Jesse Plemons where it's like the Star Trek Spoof. Oh yes, yes that yes. episode is so good. That one in the first episode where the prime minister fucks a pig are like to me the only two perfect episodes of Black Mirror. But and she's, she's also so good. She is uh just real quickly. She is uh the original. She originated the female lead in Once on yeah. Broadway. Yep, really yeah. incredibly yes. talented. Yep, I did not know that. And like I've 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 listened to that record a lot. Like now I haven't listened to it in probably five years. But like when that thing came out, I listened to it a lot and. Wow, good for her. Shit. Yeah. So Palm Springs originally, I think they bought it from a fest. Neon bought it from, yeah, Neon bought it from Sundance. Um, and initially it was supposed to come out in theaters. And then because of the weirdness of the pandemic, they sold it off to Hulu and it came out there. And weirdly enough, of course, and it's a huge thing, a huge talking point in Hollywood right now is like you just there is this weird counterfactual to every movie that comes out now where you've got to go like, ah, but in a non-pandemic situation, how would have it have performed? And we can never really know that. But like, I feel like this movie kind of probably made a bigger cultural impact because it came out on streaming at that exact time than it would yeah. have had it just come out in the theaters and it had like a limited theatrical run. Right, because, yeah, because nobody would have fucking seen it. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know? I talked about this movie to everyone. I, I, I saw it. I watched it, I think, the weekend it dropped on Hulu. Mm-hmm. And I told everyone I talked to, had literally any conversation with, you should go yeah. watch Palm Springs on Hulu. Yes. It's so good. And, like, like because it's so good and it's so agreeable. And, like, I, I feel like in five years, this thing is going to have the reputation, which is, like, the only reputation that a that a legitimately good studio comedy can get anymore, which is like, man, isn't that an underappreciated gem? Like it's it's this yeah. and fucking and fucking pop star directed by you know produced and directed by the same people. Like it, the only valence that a that a that a really good comedy can have anymore is just like, oh man, what a cult classic. Yeah, yeah, that's- it is. It is kind of a shame that you know that Andy Samberg and his likes are not like making a new movie every year. Like there's not a new like $30 million Sandberg movie every year, because like if you pick up Andy Sandberg and like, if you drop that man into 1995, Mm -hmm. he would be doing two, three movies a year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And you can play that game with, I, weirdly Andy Samberg I think got out at the right time he's one of the few that's had any success but like you can play that game with like half a dozen members of the SNL cast at any given time yeah yeah yeah, yeah and it's like I don't know like they I feel like like Kristen Wiig got a little bit of it and hmm. and Bill Hader got like the star power like he got the ability to like 
play like supporting roles in like in a lot of studio films but like there's not really been a like a studio comedy built around Bill Hader that no. I can think of no which there should be like I fucking love Bill Hader yeah and- it's why is Kate McKinnon like the fifth lead in every movie she's in yeah it makes no, no sense I know and so it is it is just like it is a sad thing because it is that thing that we talk about all the time where it's just like why make why make 10 you know uh why make 10 uh 20 million dollar movies when you could make one 200 million dollar movie yeah and it's just like which it's like because that's bad like because <laughs> that's, that's leading to an artificial inflation that's gonna pop in 10 years and ruin the industry yeah um yeah it's it's very sad like it's you play that game. And I mean, I guess it's because they're all going to streaming, right? Like I was watching fucking, um, I didn't see all of it, but my roommate was watching a uh, Schmigadoon and I'm like, Oh yeah. Keegan, yeah. There's no Keegan Mike. I mean, I guess there was Keanu, but that's really it. And that was, that came yeah. out literally that was him and Jordan Peele cashed in all of their star power from Key and Peele to like make a movie that nobody saw. Yeah. And like, why is there no Keegan-Michael Key movie? Why is there no Cicely Strong movie every other yeah. year? Like No, and it's like Jordan Peele, you know, making the pivot to yeah. like more like heady horror stuff um, yeah. is like obviously a good move, but it is that thing where it's like, I remember, and I was, I was late to Key and Peele. Like Key and Peele mm-hmm. was one of those shows where like it came out, either I was in like very late high school or very early college when I just like, was not watching much television. And like, I certainly wasn't watching Comedy Central. Like I was in that like, oh, like I'm too good. Like I'm too artistic for Comedy mm-hmm. Central. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so like, I never watched <laughs> Key and Peel until like probably when it was in its like fourth or fifth season. And like, I watched the entire series in like three weeks. Yeah. Because it's yeah. just that fucking good. Yeah. And I just remember being like, these are the funniest. Like these two guys are like the yeah. funniest, most clever, like best actors. Like I have that have like risen to any sort of prominence like in my lifetime like yeah why are these guys not like the biggest people on the planet and like i'm sure to some degree part of that is like racism obviously yeah. with like with like Kim Peel, but it just it is that thing of like i remember like in a way that like our parents talk about like you know the bill murrays and chevy chases of just like you know like we watched them in the eighties and they were the funniest thing we had ever seen. We had never seen anything like it. Like I remember having that experience with Key and Peele of just like, holy shit. Like I have seen funny stuff. Like I have seen comedy that has made me laugh, but like, this is something like new, like this is yeah. its own thing. And like, yeah. these guys are doing a thing that like has not been done before. Yeah. And like, and it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. Like they are going to be the biggest guys in the world. And Jordan Peele in order to get like this, incredibly like prestigious career that he has crafted for himself yeah um is has had to like completely pivot genres and he's doing great like and i think it's true where it's like i think a lot of people do comedy to start because it's cheaper and easier to make um so it is that thing where like you know even if jordan peele was like oh i don't want to be doing sketch comedy but like it's an end to like acting and all that stuff and like being creative it is crazy to me that he was like the funniest man on the planet and part of like the most like impressive comedy duo yeah like that was uh, like of that decade and 
the thing that came from that is he got to do something else. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, not, yeah. I and there's such a, sorry, go on, Corey. I was just going to say, I think there's such a stigma around. Uh, yeah. But they're not on SNL. Yeah. But yeah. they're not. Yeah, and yeah. I, it's such a weird, weird thing, but I do think yeah. that's like a very real, like, okay. Yeah. They're funny, but they're not like, they're not on the thing. They're not in is, America's homes every weekend. Which is fucking right. st- stupid. It's right. ridiculous. Well, and even if we look at SNL alum, like fucking like, why has John Mulaney not been the lead in a movie? Yeah. Period. Well, that's because he had a TV show that was really bad. <laughs> well, I, can, yeah. I can actually, there is a there is a oh, correct answer to that, which is but, he did a but, TV show and it sucked. How Mulaney. has how has John Mulaney, who is the most successful stand-up uh, comedian, bar none of yeah. his generation yeah. like his 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 tours fucking sell out mm-hmm. he like gets all of these deals with netflix and they're like some of the highest watched comedy specials they're some of the highest rated comedy specials like the, he the has fact, not had a miss yet with the them. fucking fact that i can in a room full of people that i don't really know just go not funny and like <laughs> and like 80 percent of the people are like yeah. Ah, yeah that one i know and, that one and like that's the thing is like he is the only comedian that like you know you like you make a Mulaney reference or like you hear you just hear a sentence that is a completely unrelated punchline in one of his specials and you just like think that joke instantly um the fact that like no studio has been like let's get 17 million dollars together let's give two of those two of those million dollars to John Mulaney Mm -hmm. um as a salary and let us make a $15 $15 million small, like romantic comedy film. Yeah. And like, you know, it's just like, it's, it's this tiny budget, like $17 million. They would make so much fucking money. And the fact that like, that just doesn't happen is like actually baffling when you think about it, because it's like, you know, the big, like, I remember like watching the big sick. Yeah. And that yeah. was like, that was like such a micro, like a small, 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 yeah. small, 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 small baby budget. And like, everyone fucking loved that movie. Yeah. And if you make a movie like similar to that with like a John Mulaney mm-hmm. and you put $20 million into it and you make something that's that good and you market it like it's the movie of the week, like you will make, I mean, you will at least crack a hundred million dollars if you put John Mulaney yeah. above the title. Yeah. yeah. And like, this is getting away from Palm Springs, but- But like, this, is the con- this is part of the reason I wanted to do this yeah this movie because i wanted to have this conversation i i definitely to go back it is it's also like i i don't know if it's just it's something in the water it's a hollywood politics thing it is just a people chasing prestige thing but like one there is every time a jordan peele movie comes out there's this fucking stupid conversation around like is it horror or is it like elevated social horror and it's like fuck off there's no bad genre it's just horror that's well but also like even that conversation i think always leaves out the fact that like jordan peele's two movies are both fucking hilarious like they're really they yeah, work yeah. as horror comedy too and nobody talks about that and then on top of that like all of our great for the most part look in a patreon episode like a month ago we talked about don't look up a fair amount and i think that that is very indicative of the fact that like every comic most of like big comic directors of the of the like 2000s other than Judd Apatow have made this pivot into like weirdly enough it's like we're gonna do like stuff about politics it's fucking like Todd Phillips Phillips doing the Joker Adam McKay <sighs> doing don't look up or fucking uh what's his face doing bomb the, the Austin Powers guy doing bombshell 
where it's like, I, I don't know. It, it, it's weird to think like there's no way that these, it, these decisions are being made in a vacuum. Like this is a reflection of the fact that you just can't get a mid-budget movie made anymore. Right. Which like you bringing up Todd Phillips doing Joker is like actually such a good counterpoint because like the hangover was shot on like what like two million dollars or something like that was his the first thing. one at least yeah the third one was yeah because that's expensive. like the whole story of the first hangover film is he wanted to like make 100 his own movie mm-hmm. and they had this script and he was like he was like give me no budget like give me 35 as- million 35 35 okay. million budget yeah that's Which more is, than i thought yeah. but, but still but even mid-sized. still like, the whole thing with the hangover is like he was like he was like give me as big of a budget you will give me after we make the concession that like i get full creative control yeah and like that movie came out and was like the most successful like because that was what 2009 2009 that just slid in in that first decade of the 2000s but it was like like that movie set the tone for the entire first half of the 2010s yeah yeah and like that film really, really, really changed the comedic tone for the next five years. Everything was trying to rip off the hangover and it made a gazillion dollars and everybody loved it. And like looking back, like the hangover craze is really weird because like watching it now, like it's kind of a bad movie, yeah. but like I was in high school. <laughs> oh, at the especially time. those sequels, those sequels are bad. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. like, you know, I was in high school at the time and like you couldn't go 10 minutes without hearing a joke about a satchel or about a tiger. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. one of like, our best friends had a had a T-shirt with the baby. Uh, yeah, like oh that baby, and he wore it every fucking day. That weirdo. <laughs> yeah, one of the kids <laughs> in our theater department um, had the fucking hangover shirt and wore it all the time, and we all thought it was the funniest thing in the world. I want to know, like, I think, and it's it's a very particular sort of thing, but like, I want to know. Is it also just like a streaming taking over thing? I think that's also an aspect to it too, because you don't have the movies playing on Comedy Central in the middle of the day that yeah. you watch during a snow you don't day get thing. Those like, TV residuals, yeah, yeah. Like are people like are kids watching Book Smart at seven p.m. on a Thursday the way that I watch Super Bad at seven p.m. on a Thursday? You know, like no, definitely. Yeah. And like Booksmart even, that's maybe the last one I can point to that I'm like, okay, yeah, that was like a studio comedy that came out and made a splash and made a lot of money yeah. and like I had some movie. cachet. It's a great fucking movie, but fucking like it does not have the cultural cachet of uh, of um, of Superbad, like at all. Yeah, yeah, and I think too, like I, I, I like the... Um, I like the comparison of Booksmart because I think about this a lot with Booksmart in particular is like... I really like Booksmart. Like I own it like on, yeah. on, on little blue disc. Um, but uh, like my thing that is, is on, a blue, yeah. on a blue boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> on a little bluey. Um, and like my thing with Booksmart is I like it. And like, I saw it in theaters and was pretty jazzed and was just like, Oh, that was cool because it's like, it's like, like it leans into like a lot of queerness and is like, mm-hmm. but like, you know, it's, it is reflective of like this new generation of kids that like we are kind of on the, back half of but it's like it's like you know like they're all like you know it is it is very reflective of our generation but like we are just barely on that tail anyway um but I've always wanted to like book smart more than I do Mm -hmm. and I think the reason why is because book smart is written and shot and like 
produced to be like a pretty good studio comedy. And if we were getting five of those a week, you know, or like, you know, whatever, like if, if, if every weekend there was a new mid-budget studio comedy coming out, it would be that thing where it's like, oh, Booksmart. I love Booksmart. It was super funny. Um, and like, here's like five good jokes from it. And it's like weirdly heartfelt anyway, like it is one of many. So you get to, you can kind of like overlook some of the more flaws with it where like, I feel like Booksmart is so much like not there, there should be 10 Booksmarts a year. Yeah, you know, yeah. so that you can yeah. watch Booksmart and kind of be like, ah, yes, one of one of many. I love the genre. That was a good, that was a good entry. And it's kind of this thing where it's like you walk into Booksmart and you're like, cool, like kind of raunchy, heartfelt studio team comedy. This is the only one I've seen in three years. And the fact that like, I don't get all of the satisfaction of this genre from this one film yeah. is a problem. Yeah. You know and, what I mean? Uh, and like, that is, again, this is, uh, I'm just saying the same thing I said before, just opining the loss of the system, but like, yeah, it's telling that Superbad spawned like six individual like comedy careers, like, like yeah. Seth Rogen's career and Jonah Hill's career and uh, less so, um, uh, uh, Sarah. Uh, Sarah. Yeah. Cause he already, he was on Arrested Development and stuff, but like Bill Hader, that was a big early Bill Hader role. Like the, those guys were able to come I in. I mean, Emma Stone, Emma Stone. Fucking Stone. Yeah. But like, and these people that came up and did like 10 minutes of just great comedic cleanup work. And that is enough to propel them where I'm like, I watch Booksmart and I've seen it like two and a half times. And every time I watch it, I'm just like, why is Billy Lord not the biggest goddamn star in the world? Yeah. Cause she's so incredible in that movie. Yeah. She's so funny. And like, I want to make one more comparison and then yes. bring it back to Palm yes. Springs. Yes. But my thing is like, so this is my like kind of jokey kind of not take or like, yeah. Um, for the film happiest season is it's like, ah. I'm like, I'm like, I like Happy Season. I'm really glad it exists mm -hmm. because like there are so many of like these like shitty straight to like streaming or straight to Hallmark, like, like rom-coms. And it's like the fact that it is not an incredible work of art is like what I like about it because it's mm -hmm. like, it's kind of the reverse thing that I was talking about with Booksmart where it's like, it's a problem with like LGBT films and I would imagine people from other marginalized communities think this as well, but like, anyway, um, where it's people kind of expect because you only get like one really gay movie a year. Yeah. <laughs> so it's gotta be perfect. You know, it's gotta be perfect. And you're going to waste like, one of them on Love, Simon. So it's like, let's hope it's a, exactly. it's a good one this time. Like, And so, and so it is that thing where it's like, one of the things I really like about book or not book smart, uh, happiest season is that it is just kind of trash. And yeah. it's like not really trying to be anything elevated. And it's just kind of like the gay version of a Hallmark movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's that thing for me where it's like, I, I appreciate that because it's like, we don't have to put this like, like pretense of like, well, like I love this movie and it's perfect because it's the only one we get. It's just kind of like, yeah. oh yeah, it's another one in the genre. Yeah. And like, it is kind of that thing. Like that's like a good counterpoint to a lot of these like current studio comedies where you don't get them. So when they don't make you laugh as much as Superbad did when we were teenagers, like mm -hmm. it's a failure, you know yeah. what I mean? Or it's not a failure, but it's like, damn, if I was getting 10 of these a year, I would be pretty satisfied with this. But it's the fact that like, this is the only one I'm getting and it's not 10 out of 10, five stars all the way down. That in, in and of itself creates disappointment. 
Yeah. Yeah. Can I? All that. Oh, go on, Corey. Yeah. I was just going to say, can I make a point to sort of loop us back into um, Palm Springs? Yes. Yes, please. So, something that I find really interesting in all of the comparisons we just made was particularly the comparison to uh, Judd Apatow because he is the one person who is sort of held on to like that style yeah. of movie and continue to make like King of Staten Island, like the, those types of movies. And I think a big part of that has to do with the fact that he has his own production company. And I, you know, I didn't yeah. use, I didn't give Adam McKay and Todd Phil, I didn't give all of them a, a goog, but. I have to imagine that Judd Apatow kind of saw three steps ahead and was like, I'm going to squirrel money away so that I can keep doing whatever the fuck I want to do. Yeah. Andy Samberg is also credited as a producer on Palm Springs. And I, I know that he, he's making a movie with, I think Craig Robinson, where they both like smoke a bunch of weed and turn into superheroes or something like, he he also wrote, executive produced pop star never mm-hmm. never stop never, never, stop, never stopping which i still haven't seen and i want to see so goddamn bad one it's a really good one but i think that so much of the kind of core of the conversation that was just had was people having enough a money but also be sort of artistic backbone and courage to say i'm gonna make whatever i want to make if you yeah. like it dope if you don't i don't really give a fuck Exactly. Yeah. It's, it is the thing that I appreciate about Judd Apatow, which I mean, he is all, if you ever hear him talk, he is like very gracious about it. Cause like people will say like, Oh, you discover all these people. And he's like, no, no, no. They were out there doing stuff. I just said, do you want to come make a movie? But like both in his TV projects and in his still his film work, it seems like, like Judd Apatow Apatow is single-handedly trying to do the thing that like just the Hollywood comedy scene was doing for years yeah. and years where it's like he'll see someone who's incredibly funny in something and be like well you should be a movie like you should be in a movie yeah there like, should yeah. be a movie based like there you. should be a movie that is you like he saw he saw pete davidson coming fucking you know a year before pete davidson was the only person anyone talks about anymore <laughs> and was like yeah you should be a movie you know like it could be a movie it's that hey the movie's called the king of staten island and he is the king of staten island he is Absolutely. the movie that's I don't true. know if y'all have seen that movie, but that movie is just like, what if Pete Davidson? I don't know. <laughs> well, he, yeah. he also did the same thing with Trainwreck, too. Yeah, yeah. It was like he saw Amy Schumer and Bill Hader and was like, you know, was like, you should be a thing, you know? He's, yeah. I mean, weirdly enough, it's, it's <laughs> if it's um, Apatow taking stock in people, I think his like Amy Schumer, Schumer and Lena Dunham, unfortunately, both of those investments failed to return for yeah. him. But like... He was, you know, with a person who's like Lena Dunham. They both did like for a while. For a while, yeah. He, for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just recently. Um, but to to loop all this, to time loop all this back to Palm Springs. Nice callback. Uh, yes, exactly. Hey. Um, wake up. Wake up. <laughs> oh, that's, it's funny because we're going to talk about another movie later in the season that has a scene that's exactly like that, weirdly enough. But um, yeah, Corey, you haven't seen it yet. Um, but... <laughs> Uh, like, I'm just, I'm really glad this movie exists because I think yeah. it's really good. I think, I think it's both really good as just like, oh, this is a mid-budget studio comedy that really works as a mid-budget studio comedy. And also this is a like high concept romantic comedy, which basically anytime that happens, it's usually a failure. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it works really, really well as both of those things, but so I'm glad it exists. I think it is a great success, but also... I just really wish that we got like four of those 
like we got one every month of the summer and you got to be like, this was the best one this year, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was a really, really, really fun little movie. And um, yeah, I mean, for a comedy, I feel like that's really like, you know, it, it has a lot of heart, that's awesome. um, yeah. but that's like, at the end of the day, like, that's what you're going for. Like, did you have a good time? Yes. Great success. Yeah. We're at more movies. Just so we know. Fantastic. More movies should have JK Simmons shooting people with a bow. <laughs> I agree. Yes. I think I most, agree. most films would benefit from that. Well, okay. Caroline, any, oh, sorry, Corey, go on. I, last thing. Uh, speaking of J.K. Simmons, I've seen this movie twice now. Mm-hmm. I've never apparently watched the mid-credits scene that, that apparently exists. Oh, know. you haven't yeah. seen it? Oh, it's so good. No, I don't know that I've, I don't know that I've it's, like kept it on through the credits to realize that that was a, th- I didn't think to check this fucking type of film for a mid-credits scene. It's J.K. Simmons goes back to the wedding, like in his outfit with the hat from earlier in the movie. And he walks up to Niles and he's like, I got your letter. Like, did, you know, did, did she blow herself up? Like what happened? And Niles is just like, uh, do I know you? And he's like, holy shit. Amazing. Holy shit. And he just like turns to the bartender is like, I need a lot of alcohol. Let's go. Like, let's. <laughs> Wait, so, okay. I did have a question about that because that confused me. <laughs> it is kind of a, it, it you brings would think... up some time loop questions, doesn't it? Yeah, you would it think, sure do. Cause like, cause like, uh, he obviously remembers mm-hmm. like all of that in the end when they're sitting in the pool talking. Um, so like, oh no. So oh, why did I the Andy up? Sandberg at the wedding with J.K. Simmons in the end? I mean, I guess the, I don't know. I guess the idea that like since he is out of the time loop, this is now the first time it's happening when J.K. Simmons returns. And yeah. so like, yeah. I guess, I guess the idea is that like, because- The last shot of the film is him saying they come back November 10th. Yeah. 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 And so like, I guess, I'm just trying to suss this out for myself. I guess the idea is now that Sandberg is out of the time loop, but Simmons is still in it. When Simmons gets to the wedding that night, that time loop has now been unlooped. So now all of the time loop stuff happens in the future. And so he's seeing yeah. him he's on the seeing first night. The very first day, because Niles is, it's also, I think, important that Niles is wearing a suit. Like he's not in his uh, baby Hawaiian, suit, yeah. Hawaiian shirt combo. Yes. Yeah. He's, he's wearing, presumably he's dressed the way he would be, he would have been dressed the first time he did the wedding. Yes. So I right. guess, I guess that's how to read that. But it was a little confusing because I was like, wait. Like what? But anyway, doesn't matter. You, you need it. to tell me that Captain America went back, danced with Peggy, and then also carried her casket at her funeral. What are you talking about? Yeah, it's an alt Caroline, it's an alternate universe. It's part of the Palm Springs multiverse, of course. She short circuited. She made a snake sound and just started wiping her eyes. <laughs> Uh, that was horrible. Uh, uh, well, any final thoughts on Palm Springs, Caroline? No, um, great little film. Yeah. Great little film. And Good I think one. that like we didn't talk so much about this movie as we normally do, but I think that um, I think that a film, uh, I wouldn't even say that. I would say that it's just like, I think that it made us lament the entire loss of an art form <laughs> is uh is a testament enough to like how much we enjoyed it yeah um yeah, yeah. that's the pull quote for the episode congratulations beautiful very good beautiful 
Uh, well, Corey, you want to tell the fine folks at home where they can interact with us? Uh, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Pod. And a very special thank you to our patrons. If you'd like a shout out on the show and bonus content, please head over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash Pod. We have multiple levels, all with their own perks, ranging from $1 to $25 a month. As I said, if you are interested in hearing more, please visit patreon.com slash Pod. Awesome. Yay. So Carson, we are still in the throes of a lot of months. I guess we're mm. kind of on the on the tail end. We're on the what tail have, end, yes. What have you got for us uh, next week? It's a heavy hitter. We're we're going out big because next week we're going to be watching reportedly one of the best films ever made, Wong Kar Wai's In the Mood for Love. I am so fucking excited. Let me tell you, after the last three weeks, I've been in the mood for love. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. All right, guys. Well, um, thank you so much for listening and we will see you next week when we talk in the mood for love. See you next time.